welcome to Aviation United by Aviation Zorro. I'm delighted to be chatting with Mr. Brendan Kumarasamy. Uh, Brendan is a communication expert. He has a very popular and educational YouTube channel and is also the founder of Master Talk. A very good day to you, Brendan. How are you today? I'm great, David. Thanks for having me on. How about you? Oh, wonderful. We, we previously obviously chatted before we started the, uh, the podcast. So you're, you're in Canada at the moment, or Montreal, is it? You got it, based in Montreal. It's great to be chatting with someone in Dublin. It should be fun. Well, that's it. I mean, we're talking about communication today and interview techniques. So let's see how good we do with this, especially a, um, a man in Canada and an Irish man. Let's see how this goes. But anyway, <laughs> with... <laughs> so Brennan, just tell us a little, your list, our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, of course. So, so like you alluded to, David, I make YouTube videos on public speaking. That's called Master Talk. But how that got started was when I was in university, I used to compete in these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. Okay. So I know it sounds odd, but a lot of universities across the world make presentations competitive. So in the same way that you would play footy or uh, another sport like basketball professionally, we did the same thing with business school presentations. And this is very much aligned with um, where you're from because a lot of universities actually in Europe participate, like the Dublin Institute of Technology right. that I've met and I've had uh, quite a bit of fun with. Okay. <laughs> a, lot of those, a lot of those students, just to give people an idea here, spend $10,000 to fly out to Montreal every year, a group of students, hotels, accommodations, and everything, just to present PowerPoint slides. Oh, That's wow. a real thing. Yeah, it's crazy. So anyways, I was, I was one of the leaders of that program in my day. Absolutely loved it. Had a, had a grand. And then when I left for corporate and I joined, a, I joined a company, I kind of asked myself after, how can I transition a lot of the information that I learned from all of the best schools around the world, including the ones in Dublin and Europe? And how can I translate all the information in, on communication for the world? So that's how the YouTube channel, The Practice, started. Good. Well, what we'll do is we'll move on then to interview techniques. As you're probably aware, uh, many industries at the moment are going through a lot of difficulties. And one of the, the, the largest or the biggest industries that's finding it difficult at the moment is like the aviation, uh, tourism, hospitality. So it's probably going to get very competitive now in the coming months uh, for employment. So what, what recommendations would you have for would you have for individuals going for jobs or uh, new positions? Do you have any techniques for them or any advice or suggestions? Of course. So, so the strategy is a bit different since it's going to be online, but the, the overlying foundation is the same. Whenever you want to think about getting a job after university, the trick to interviews is you want the job before you walk in the room. What does that mean? It means that you don't just want to be someone that's just a CV. So I'll give you an example. When I applied for a lot of the companies that I ended up working for, like Pricewaterhouse or IBM or many of the other corporations that a lot of students want jobs at, I didn't just walk into an interview without knowing anybody at the company. I grabbed coffees, or in this case, virtual coffees, with some of the, the members or company members of the institution and the city that I was applying to, to make sure they knew who I was. So before I even step into the interview and I get it, it's not the conversation isn't, I wonder who Brendan is, I wonder what he's done. I've had a chance to look at his CV, but rather it transitions from, oh, I had a, I talked to Brendan, he's a pretty cool guy. He's, he's pretty competent, he actually does X, Y, and Z. I think we should really consider him and give him an offer potentially. So when that conversation shifts, the energy of your interview shifts as well because if everyone knows who you are the job is much easier to get 
So now let's talk about the interview room specifically, and in this case, the virtual interview room through Zoom. What you want to do is you want to make sure that the environment that you have for the Zoom calls is well lit. So you're well dressed, you have lights in the room ideally. You want to make sure that everything is perfect. And the best way to do that is to do another pre-Zoom call with people that you don't like, put them all in the same room as you, and have them meticulously uh, essentially rip you apart and give you the right feedback and advice that you need to say, oh, Brendan, your, your head's tilted. Oh, oh, Brendan, you're not dressed well. Brendan, your light's not right. The way that you're speaking, you're not looking into the lens of the camera. So that way you're making your interview perfect before you actually step into the interview itself. Well, that's very good. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll probably have a lot of people that would uh, be delighted to, uh, to participate in that with me because uh, they'd be delighted to tell me that my hair is not good. <laughs> or my posture is not good. So that's, you usually get that on a daily basis anyway. So it'll, uh, it'll be a good excuse for them now to, to tell me. So what about them, in regards to, say, in an interview, uh, when you're asked a question, and is it okay like, to pause, think about it? Is that probably a good, a good suggestion? Is, it, is silence a problem? Does it make uh, it more awkward? Great question. So it depends on the quality. So the, at the end of the day, David, the, the trick is simple. If you, if you pause for a second or two, but the answer's really good, people won't mind. But if you rush into a banned answer, that's not good. So the idea is simple. If you know the answer and you're absolutely certain that's the best one you can give, you can just wait a second or two just to thin out the air and then give your perfectly crafted answer. But if, on the other hand, your answer requires some thought, it's totally fine in an interview once or twice, not too many times, obviously, where you say, could I have a couple of seconds to think about this? And a lot of the times the interviewer says, sure, because if you give a very high quality answer, they won't mind because they'll appreciate that you're, you're thinking through things through and that you're, you're giving an answer that's very digestible. So my recommendation to make sure that you, you stress a lot less in an interview is you want to pre-prepare a lot of the answers you would have given to standard conventional questions. So whenever I interviewed at the big companies that I, that I ended up getting a job at, I already knew the answers before I walked into the room to the questions they were going to ask me. So things like, tell me about yourself. You should have that perfectly you know, synced up. Uh, why you over anyone else? why this company in particular, that's where you could talk about the people you met and the culture that you enjoy and things like what is your greatest strengths? What is your greatest weakness? What do you think the job will entail? So all of those questions you can prepare for in advance so that you can only pause or you'll only need to pause when they ask you uh, side tur curves or curveball questions. That makes any sense. Sure. So what you mentioned there regards to strengths and weaknesses, I mean, that's a question we're actually asked quite a lot. Uh, we got a lot of emails about that. What, what, how would you put that across? Because I mean, we can, we can talk about positives as much as you like, you know, I have wonderful, you know, physique, I have amazing skin, I'm, you know, I'm a beautiful person. But when you come across to the, the, the negatives, how do you, well, we, had, we had one where um, previously, I think it was, a, it was a cabin crew member, a pilot, and I think they told the uh, interviewer that they sometimes get angry, which obviously is, is not a good thing to come across. But what, what would you kind of recommend as a negative? Right. So, so if I'm being completely transparent here, David, the trick to answering the greatest weakness question is by essentially 
naming a weakness that you honestly do have that is unrelated to the job or won't impact it too much. So I'll give you the answer that I like to give, sure. which is true, is I ask a lot of questions, like way too many. So let's say I'm with a manager, I would ask them hundreds of questions because I just want to know every detail of any nook and cranny. But the reason why this is a weakness is because the manager might not have time to answer everything. So even if it is a weakness, David, it's not something that uh, an employer would say, oh, we, can, we, we can't hire him because of this. But on the other hand, if your weakness is I hate people, I hate working in teams. Oh, by the way, David, I hate you too. Like this is not going to work. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like we, because it's completely related to the job. So you want to make sure that basically it's a fail safe. You want to make sure that your weakness, because we all have them. Uh, it's for sure. Is you want to talk about what weakness that you can say that is not related to the job entirely. That won't be a huge red flag for recruiting. Asking too many questions is one of them. Right. And what about then like, uh, like body language and hands waving around as if you're doing Gollum style or some sort of dance routine? What, what, <laughs> what, would, you, what, what would you recommend for that? Because I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you. There has been times in the past where, you know, once, the, once it's kind of like at the beginning of the interview, when you're going for the interview, you're kind of relaxed and your hand is on your knee or you might have your two hands uh, kind of resting in a certain position. But then once the interview continues about four or five questions in, the hands begin to, you know, everything's kind of animated and I'm kind of becoming uh, like a a TV show star or I'm in some sort of play. What would you recommend to, you know, keep the hands still or or keep a nice posture? Absolutely. So the the trick I recommend is you want to mirror whatever the interviewer is doing. So let's say you're, you're talking to a senior manager and that senior manager isn't moving their hands at all then you want to mirror that body language. You want to do exactly what the other person is doing. If on the other hand, they're super animated, they got their hands all over the place, or they're really excited to interview you. Like, so let's say I was interviewing with you, David, that'd probably be more of the reaction I would see from you since you're a bit more extroverted than most. Thank you. I would do the same thing, <laughs> which is a good thing. It's not, yep. it's a compliment. Right? I would do the same thing. I would be animated. I would sound more passionate. But I've also interviewed people who are just really boring, frankly, or extremely introverted. And I knew from the, from the get-go, and, and this is what you'll find as well when you interview, that's why you need to interview for multiple firms, especially right. during these times, is you know right away that you're not a cultural fit, but you should still try your best anyways, right? Like in my case, sure, I, you know, I ended up working for really, really successful and very, very well-known companies, but I also interviewed at a bunch of other well-known companies that I do so well in, right? Even if I met a lot of the consultants and I met a lot of the people there and they loved me, when I did do the interview, the person I just ended up interviewing with was just a, completely diametrically opposed to my personality. So it just didn't work. Because every time they would ask me a question, they would say something like, so Brendan, um, tell me about yourself. And I'm just there like, oh, geez, how am I supposed to? <laughs> I was like, oh, brother, like yeah. this is not going to work. Whereas let's say I interview somewhere else, they say, oh, Brendan, we read your Steve. You're really excited to talk to you. I say, this is it. This is, my, this is my interview. This is my chance. And of course, I would get offers at those types of companies because we meshed really well. So what you want to do is you want to filter. You want to talk to as many people as possible. You want to interview as many as possible so that you get the job that you actually want. So you, you mentioned something there, uh, Brie, what, what about then the kind of, um, say you have a very nice interviewer and you have the good cop, uh, bad cop, and the, the good interviewer is kind of like, you know, very friendly, outgoing, and then all of a sudden you're telling them your life story. Um, should you have your guard up um, or, you know, be more kind of uh, following the interviewer's lead? 
This is a great question. So, so let's view this from a different perspective for everyone listening. The way that you want to see it is the way that the interview is the way they're going to be in the job. So if they don't, if you don't like the way they're interviewing you, like, you know, they're, they're putting you down, they're trying to stress you out. That's exactly what they're going to do while you're working for them. So you need to ask yourself that this is not just a you being interviewed by them. This is um, a we being interviewed. No, it's a them interviewed by us. So it's a two-sided equation. And a lot of people tend to miss that. And I know that's scary to think about because I know we all want a job. We all want to be successful. But at the same time, you are someone who is talented. You are someone who is indispensable or else you wouldn't be trying to grow. You wouldn't be trying to learn. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast, right? So sure. the, the way that I see it is, especially the people that I used to compete with at Dublin and, and all of these different universities, they would get multiple job offers, right? Because they were very talented. So the tables kind of turn. So the way that I want you all to think about this is if you run into that type of situation, because I personally have heard of those types of interviews, but I've never interviewed with them where there was a very bad cop type of environment. You don't want to work for those companies. I'll tell you right away. So instead what you want to do, and this is what I would give as practical advice is you want to think about your network, including the people that you go to school with, including the people who are the same age as you pre COVID. So the people you actually know in person, and you, those are the places where you're most likely to get your job offer. So start there, even if it's someone who's just in university. If they interned at Deloitte, they're going, they're going to have a good way for you to get referred. If they interned, interned at Aviation at Zorro, then there, there's going to be a much higher likelihood that you'll get through the door, at least for an interview. So you want to start with that existing network and have them introduce you to new people so that you, you can still network and meet new people virtually without having to leave your house. So then well, let's change a little bit, Brendan, with regards to um, the industry specifically. So one of the biggest things when you obviously got on an airplane, you're going to hear a passenger announcement from either the, the captain, the first officer or a member of the cabin crew. And it's very rarely trained within the aviation industry to make these announcements. Have you any suggestions on how to make a good passenger announcement or something that if you're a passenger yourself on a flight, what you would like to hear? Mm, that's an interesting question that I haven't been asked before. So let's think through this. The, the way that I would think about it is as follows. Whenever a speaker does a presentation, they always think about their audience. So in the example you gave, David, let's say it's a pilot or someone who's working on the, on the cabin crew. They're saying, oh, you know, I wonder who's on the plane. I wonder who's there. I wonder what they care about. But the great speakers in the world do is they actually talk to them. They build conversations with them. They gain rapport. They understand what their needs are. They understand what their wants are. So what I would do if I was trying to build a speech for them is I would talk to the passengers outside of the flight. So let's say I'm waiting for my next layover and I notice that someone is you know, alone and isn't really talking to anyone. I would just strike up a conversation with somebody just to understand who they are, what they believe in, what they dream about, what they aspire to be, and why this flight is important to them. Oh, maybe it's for a business trip. Maybe it's to see their loved ones, things like that. And then I would take a lot of those desires, wants, and needs and mold them back into my presentation. So I'll give you an example. Tim is an executive at the, at, in a flight, right? He's, he's, he's riding business class. He's really stressed out. You know, he has a wife who's badgering at him. <laughs> he has kids <laughs> in, in two weeks. He's stressed. So the way that you want to look at it is how do you make Tim's life better? 
in the moment that he's in this flight because every other flight that he's on it's the same thing he puts his headphones on and he just wants to cancel everyone else around him so he get his work done but for this flight for the five minutes before he puts his headphones on what are you going to say that makes his day better and that's the way that you want to funnel it so i would tell a joke something funny something exciting here we go again another flight you know something like that and think creatively with the team to kind of figure out a message that will really speak to him and everyone else on the on the airplane so then what about um something that uh obviously in the industry obviously we're in this metal tube and this metal tube can fly at you know high speeds and communication sometimes can can be a problem between co-workers because maybe you might have a very experienced uh, person in the company for a long time or a junior person that might look up to this experienced person and there might be multicultural issues as well so is it best to ask if you have misunderstood something and possibly offend that person or individual or just to speak up i mean what would you suggest to managing this because we, we actually experience this quite a lot where you might have as, as mentioned a very experienced say captain and a very junior uh, co-pilot and because a junior co-pilot might have seen a mistake by the captain he'd be afraid maybe just to, to say something which may be safety related how, how would you manage that situation what do you think great question love it so the way that i would see this um, david is it depends on the situation so the way that so in the example that I can give it, the company that I work in, the senior leaders don't mind if I voice my opinion, even if I'm half or even a third of their age, because of the way that I communicate the idea, the thought, it's well thought out. It's not just some random idea, but at the same time, I, they're open to hearing it. So there's a two-part system here. So what I would recommend is to first ask yourself if leadership is the kind of leadership that is open to that type of feedback. And if so, then you want to communicate it in a way that's non-evasive, that's, non, um, that's non-confrontational, that focuses just on the result. So here's, here's kind of how I deal with this. So let's say you were a senior executive and I was the junior starting. I wouldn't say, David, this is wrong. You're wrong. And they're gonna, then you're going to get defensive. You're going to say, hey, Brendan, relax, man. What's, sure. what's going on here? Yeah. But instead of I say, hey, David, I noticed something in the project that we are working on together, that we are trying to achieve together. Now I'm putting myself in your shoes. And I say, but, you know, I think we can do this better. I think we can do this based on the research I've done. And this is how we achieve this result together. The second version, as you can probably tell, sounds a lot better because it's, it's not about me versus you. It's about yes. me and you versus them right yes to reach a common goal yeah right to make this interesting back to the personality thing a good analogy i can use here is when you talk to your spouse or your husband the reason why a lot of people are in conflict is because they whenever they argue it's always me versus you instead of me and you versus the problem sure right so same thing same analogy applies so then what about the biggest communicate uh, the the biggest issue brandon in modern day communication what 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 do you think what do you think the problems are today or is there any problems? Are we all perfect? Do we all speak to each other very nicely and we communicate? If, if anyone's easily? perfect, David, it's you, man. Oh, stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> I'll give you that $10 later. Thank you. There you <laughs> <laughs> oh, great times. Uh, I take PayPal. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, we'll do that. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've noticed, David, is there's, there's usually two main problems that stick out. The first one is fear. For some reason, we're all scared of public speaking, but the, the real question is we don't know why. 
Why are we so afraid of it? Why do we worried about this? So let's go through that really quickly and then we'll talk about the second thing. Sure. So if you think about all of the presentations you've given in our life, all of them were forced. They weren't optional. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, David, you want to just get breakfast and present all day? We don't do that. Like nobody does that, frankly. No. What usually happens is you're in high school in Dublin or in Montreal or wherever you're from, and your high school teacher comes up to you and says, well, David, I need you to do a presentation on the Renaissance in history class. And you're sitting there wondering, what is this, like a fruit or something? I'll be so falling anyways, asleep, I'll be honest. Right? That's, that's... Yeah. <laughs> no offense to people like history in the crowd. No, 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 no but, offense, but, no. but uh, I always like to say that kind of as a, as a back, in case I get backlash. But the point is simple. All of the presentations we give are always tied to result. We don't do it for fun. So we, we present topics we're not passionate about. We don't get to pick them. To students who frankly don't care, not not because they hate you, not because they don't like you, but because they're worried about their own presentation. They have to give a presentation on the historic times five minutes after yours. And then you have the teacher who is extremely competent, very intelligent. I respect teachers so much, but they're stressed out of their minds. They have 30 presentations to go through in two classes. They don't have time to give you that one-on-one -on -one feedback, that one-on-one -on -one support that you need to be a great speaker. So no wonder we're scared of public speaking because we see it as a chore, as a responsibility, as something we don't like to do rather than an impact drive. Like this is public speaking, me sharing you a message, me creating an impact, a difference to people I'll probably never meet in Dublin. That's what public speaking is all about. That's part one. Part two is how we practice. Most of the way that we practice public speaking is fundamentally wrong. And let me explain why. Let's say you want to learn a new skill, whether it's you want to get on the footy team in your local university to you want to learn basketball to learning a new instrument or even singing a song. In all three of these situations, really any skill, you're always focused on the fundamentals. So if you take piano, sure, you're going to try a hundred different songs, but the best way to approach it is probably practicing the same song a hundred times so that when you can play it properly, you can show off to your friends and say that you know how to play piano and then it'll give you confidence to practice other songs. But we don't apply that same analogy to public speaking at all because let's say it's wednesday your boss your client your teacher comes up to you and says uh you know david i need a presentation for friday and you're like oh geez why didn't anyone tell me so you spend two days getting this presentation ready you do your best work you try your best and then when you give the presentation well what do you do with it you take it and then you dump it in the garbage yep. <laughs> instead of practicing the same thing hundreds of times like the best speakers in the world do practice 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 does it make perfect or does it just make better? <laughs> Here's a good way to phrase it. Practice makes perfect if you practice the right things. So if you're practicing a hundred different presentations, you probably won't get better. Or if you do, you'll get better incrementally. But if you focus on a repeatable presentation, so let's say you're a marketing expert in aviation and all you talk about is marketing. If you have an educational seminar about the lessons that you learned in marketing that apply to the aviation space and you speak on that same topic 50 times a year, 25 times a year, well, let me tell you that aviation presentation that you, that, that is always adding value to people is yeah. going to get a 10 times better because you see the impact in front of your own eyes. It's going to be slick. Yeah. No, no, I get you. So keep practicing everybody.
don't be slackers, be slickers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so you're the founder of Master Talk. So, what is Master Talk, and how can it help individuals and companies? Of course, absolutely. So, so for those who are interested in uh, talking or a question or really anything, I'm really accessible. Just send me a message on Instagram, which is at Master Your Talk. I answer all my DMs, and obviously, since it's business related, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn under the same name which is Brendan Kumarasamy. And for those who are interested in my free public speaking videos to master communication and to share your ideas with the world, I highly encourage you to check out my YouTube channel, which is Master Talk in One Word. Thank you so much, Brendan, for chatting with me on Aviation United by Aviation Zero. For more information on Aviation Zero, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Parler. Thank you so much again, Brendan. Thanks so much, David.